uh, and the team. Um, obviously, I'm not Brett or Mark, and that's a bad thing for you guys, I'm sure. Um, so those of you who knew I was going to be up here and you still came, thank you. I'll take it as a compliment. And those of you who didn't, I'm sorry. Might be a good time to lower your expectations and uh, um, just put up with me for a little bit. Um, it's only my second time being up here. Um, most of you guys know Mark and uh, Brett are both in Germany, uh, as well as some other people um, doing ministry over there. It's probably, I don't know, 5 o'clock over there. They're six hours ahead of us. Um, so they're doing really good. Uh, just a word back from them. They're doing really good. Um, definitely some culture shock. They're not really used to the people. Um, I, Isaac Adams keeps getting yelled at a lot, I hear. Um, they think it's just a look on his face, but I'm not sure. Um, but I can totally understand it. Um, but it's just, a, it's just a good thing uh, that they're over there. But let me go ahead and uh, start this off with just a word of prayer um, as we get into it, if you don't mind. God, thank you for this day. Uh, we just thank you so much uh, for everybody here. God, we just pray that you just uh, uh, touch our hearts today. Um, God, as you probably already have, uh, I'm certain, through worship and just through the Sunday school hour and uh, just everything, God, we just thank you so much uh, for this opportunity. And uh, Father, uh, most of all, for your love for us. Um, God, that without it, we are nothing. Um, God, we, uh, um, we, we, we are changed by it. Um, God, it, it is our life. Uh, Father, we pray that we are drawn to this even more. Um, God, that you just love us so much. Um, Father, we pray that we realize this today, God, and that we're able to return it. Um, even if it's just a fraction, God, uh, we can return this to you, God. Um, we just thank you so much for this time and this day, this opportunity. It's your name we pray. Amen. Um, as I was uh, preparing for today, Mark asked me to keep going uh, in Philippians. He's been doing a study in Philippians, um, and I'm certainly not worthy of anything that God has put on his heart. Um, nothing, nothing to the level he is. Um, but as I was looking in Philippians, I realized just how uh, great, you know, we're under this kind of context of outrageous joy um, is kind of w- what the study is called. And um, I'm just amazed. Um, I wasn't going to do it, honestly. Um, in the beginning, I was just going to do something a little more personal. But I realized as, after looking at it uh, that I, I needed it. Um, I really needed it um, because it's something that I struggle with and something that I deal with. Um, as many people do. But just in researching and just looking around, I came across this quote um, in regards to joy. I want to read it to you. It says, men have pursued joy in every avenue imaginable. Some have successfully found it while others have not. Uh, Perhaps it would be easier to describe where joy cannot be found. So he makes a list. It says, not in unbelief. Voltaire was an infidel of the most pronounced type. He wrote, I wish I had never been born. Joy is not found in pleasure. Lord Byron lived a life of pleasure, if anyone did, and he wrote, The worm, the canker, and the grief are mine alone. Uh, Not in money. Jay Gould, the American millionaire, had plenty of that. And when dying, he said, I suppose I am the most miserable man on earth. Not in position and fame. Uh, Lord Beaconsfield enjoyed more than uh, than his share of both. And he wrote, Youth is a mistake, manhood a struggle, uh, and old age a regret. And it's certainly not found in military glory, Um, in that Alexander the Great conquered the known world in his day. Uh, Having done so, he wept in his tent before he said, there is no more worlds to conquer. Uh, Where then is real joy found? The answer is simple, in Christ alone. This was a quote taken from an article called Turning Point in a Christian newsletter a long time ago. Well, I think of it as a long time ago. It's like 1993. Um, I guess I'm a millennial, so I think that's a long time ago, almost 20 years. Um, but I still feel it's a compelling quote uh, as it points out the truth that there's really no limit uh, to what people will seek, uh, joy, fulfillment, and purpose in life. 
There's just really no limit what people will do to achieve these things. Some people might even call it the question of, of humanity, is how, how to find joy in this life we've been given. Um, people are constantly um, accruing millions of dollars. Uh, we conquer lands. We try to achieve in all areas, uh, such as media and military and politics and academics. And you even take it down a level and you look in the high schools. Um, our younger people uh, are joining clubs and teams and social groups, uh, really in no uh, more of an attempt to fit in and sadly to achieve the holy higher social status. Uh, we want to be more academic. We want to be more, um, we want to be smarter. We want to be more athletic. We want to be more successful. Okay, kind of, kind of runs it. And we can just look at our lives and look at the world and realize that the search for joy is vast. It's huge. Um, possibly the question of what most people try to pursue in life. What is real joy? What is true joy? Um, we see it everywhere. And one of the people that I think about this um, is King Solomon. Um, in in uh, the high school, we're doing a study on Ecclesiastes on Sunday mornings. And King Solomon uh, was a man, if you probably already knew, uh, of great wealth. Uh, known to be one of the wisest kings ever. He actually wrote Proverbs, a book of just wise sayings. Um, he was uh, knowledgeable. Um, he was possibly the richest man to have ever lived. Um, possibly the richest king to have ever existed. Okay, this guy knew what it meant to have everything. Um, and in Ecclesiastes, he writes of his search for true meaning uh, in life and his resolve uh, is really meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. That's what he writes. Um, in all of his, everything that he's attained, everything that he's accomplished, this is his result. Um, it's surprising. Um, everything from wisdom to labor to knowledge to the pleasures of wine and women and success and property and possessions. And in all of them, his response is that they're just a chasing after the wind. And this guy um, was, a, was a stud of his day, I guess you could call it. I mean, he had everything. Uh, he just had every possible thing that you could imagine. Um, and that's his result. Uh, but then he brings it in perspective, and at the end of chapter 2, he says this, A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This, too, I see is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. Um, remember when Jesus says that it's easier to fit a camel through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the, uh, the kingdom of heaven. Um, this uh, was not Solomon. Um, he was one of the few very rich people in the past to be able to still realize um, that Jesus Christ, that God, um, is, is the source of true enjoyment and fulfillment. Okay, he doesn't mean rich people can't make it to heaven. He just means that when you're rich, you have all of these things. That's why he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who attain a lot are more susceptible to just be blinded uh, from their true need in something, which is, which is God. Okay, but this was not Solomon. Even in his kind of grumpy, aged wisdom, um, he realizes that nothing is good unless it comes through God. Uh, only he can provide true enjoyment and provision of our needs. Okay, that's what Solomon's, Solomon's resolve is. And I just love our scripture, our word. Um, I should probably read it more. I should probably memorize it more. Um, a lot of us probably should. Um, but it's in the same word uh, that we see um, uh, the stress and wisdom and humanity of, of probably the wealthiest king to have ever lived, um, and then we see the brokenness and the poverty uh, in the full in another man, um, and amazingly, his resolve on true joy and purpose is the same exact thing. 
It's awesome to see, and that's what brings us to Philippians, because um, we're writing, a, we're, we're looking at the Apostle Paul, who actually wrote the letter to the Philippians in prison. He was in Rome, and he was imprisoned. Um, and Rome was not the only place he was in prison. So to say it short, uh, persecution was really a lifestyle for Paul. Um, that's what he knew. Um, ever since God revealed himself to him, um, he, that, that was his life. Okay, suffering and all of these things. And actually, um, just based on his writing here in Philippians, um, it seems as though his life is on the line. Whether there's a trial going on or something, and his life is actually being questioned. Because the way he's writing, it's like he's actually potentially going to lose his life this time. Okay, so this was a, this was a stressful time. Um, this was a time where, of any time, you would understand somebody um, um, giving in to stress and worry and all of these things. But if you just look at what he says um, in chapter 1, if you haven't opened your Bibles there, let's, let's, let's look to uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. Paul says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will um, in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is far more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being, uh, with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Okay, remembering uh, that Paul's life uh, was probably on the line in this, in this area um, and during this time. Um, it's amazing to see um, just him expressing his thoughts. Like in verse 23, um, he, he, he's battling with what he um, should do and what he wants to do. He says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Okay, I wonder, um, if your life had ever been on the line, if my life had ever been on the line, um, I knew um, that potentially I was not going to be here tomorrow. Is this the thought process that we would have? What would God, what would God have for us? I, I have a feeling... Um, that I would probably give in to like doing something crazy like going skydiving or something just to bring personal satisfaction, which I guess it's probably nothing wrong with that. Um, but this just explains how far, how far uh, Paul was along in realizing that, that, that even his life in the last seconds is not his. Um, it's somebody else's. It's God's. Um, to be honest, I think a lot, what if I died? And don't, like, get scared or anything about that. Like I, like, I think a lot of people do that. Their mind just runs wild in the car or at night or something. You're just thinking, what happened if I was gone? What happened if I, was, if I wasn't here? If I was going to be gone the next day? Um, and I at that point in time um, that that's when my mind straight goes to worry. I start worrying about things like what would happen to the ministries I'm a part of? What would happen to my friends, my family? Um, all of these things, it just jumps straight to worry. A worry about what life would be, um, like I have some sort of great, you know, effect on this world. You know, I, I worry about what would happen if I were not here. Um, I worry about the pleasures that I would be leaving behind. Um, all of these things, and that's where my mind goes to. And we just don't see that with Paul. We don't see this worry um, of, of missing out. In fact, this guy wants to be in the, in the undistracted presence of Christ. 
He's polar opposite. Um, he's not worried. Um, that, that's where Paul was. And uh, to me, um, I really believe uh, that it comes down to just an inside struggle of just desire versus obedience. What do we desire versus what do we obey? Um, see, even Paul's desire was one of nobility uh, and that he wanted to be in the presence of Christ, undistracted. Uh, but even so, in obedience, Paul knew that it was necessary for him uh, to be uh, and to write uh, to these people um, in, Philipp- in Philippi uh, to edify them in the body of Christ. It's, it's awesome to think about. And though Paul was who he was and his desire seemed good, he dealt with the same struggle Solomon faced and the same struggle so many of us face. And the question is, do you respond out of desire or obedience? When you have a big decision to make, what do you respond out of? Um, any decision that you make, what do you respond out of? Desire or obedience? What runs your life? Um, if, we, if we took an honest look at that, as I, as I did, um, you... you you might realize something that you don't want to realize or that you might want to hide, um, as I did. Um, desire uh, is a strong thing to overcome, but so often um, it's what runs us. Um, this is just not where Paul was. Uh, for Paul, his decision was based on obedience uh, for the sake of edifying, edifying the body of believers in the name of Christ so that they may boast in Christ Jesus um, on account of him. Uh, but sometimes I wonder, uh, do we ever sympathize with Paul? Um, Do we ever just look and just think, man, it would probably be good if I could just leave the troubles and the struggles of this world and just be with God right now? That would be such a great thing if I could just leave all of this and be with him right now. Some of us us could probably even say uh, that we sympathize with him a little bit in that respect. So I did some research, and I found this study in 2005. Uh, It says suicide was the reason for over 32,000 deaths uh, in 2005. Suicide is the 11th leading cause of death nationwide, the third leading cause of death in young people, and the second leading cause of death in colleges and universities. Over 800,000 attempts um, happened in 2005. Um, And you guys know just as well as I do, these numbers have nothing but risen um, with all the new things to get addicted to and all the new things to get, all the new bad habits to get drawn into and all the other sources of depression and all these things, these numbers have just grown and grown and grown. And I wonder, uh, well, some, some people in here might have even been affected with it, with your family or, or a friend or even yourself. Um, it, it, it touches everybody. And I wonder, I just can't stop thinking how much these numbers probably would have dropped um, if people who struggle with this were sincerely and truly exposed to what Paul is saying in this passage. Um, Paul's desire was to exit this place, was to be gone, was to be somewhere better in the presence of God, uh, but an obedience and love for Christ, something that gave him purpose and joy. He continued and as a result brought joy to others as well experienced a sincere and deep joy in his own life. Um, in First Thessalonians, uh, we actually see, um, he, he writes a little bit of what I think this joy probably looks like. Um, what it means to continue with somebody, as he, as he says in verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for the progress and joy in the faith. Okay, I think he kind of gives us uh, a hint of what this, uh, what this looks like. So in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, uh, let's hop over there real fast. And uh, just look at this, it's just a couple pages to your right probably. In 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, verse 7. 
He says, just as a nursing mother uh, cares for his ch- her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each other as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This is Paul writing of his experience in Thessalonica whenever he visited. And I believe this is the same um, Paul, the same heart uh, that he has when he's writing uh, to the church in Philippi um, of, uh, of continuing with all uh, of you for your progress and joy in the faith is what he says to them. I believe this is what it is and it just makes me think, do we have people in our lives like this? Do we have someone or multiple people um, that, they, that it, we are willing uh, to bear somewhat of a burden, to struggle a little bit with um, in order that they may be edified in Christ and come to know him better? Do you have somebody like that in your life? Do I have somebody like that in my life? Um, we need people, um, first of all, to humble us a little bit so that we are able to struggle and, and to be in need with them, to encourage them in the faith. Um, it's probably not everybody's first desire, just like it wasn't Paul's. Paul's was to just be with Christ. Um, but he realized that God had something else for him. He needed to stay. He needed to struggle. He needed to suffer a bit longer um, for these people's sake so that they may boast in Christ. And do we have people in our lives like this? Um, I saw a perfect image of this last year at camp. I think me and Travis um, both saw it. Um, I was having a hard time to think about, of just thinking about what to talk about at the church group time um, at night uh, at Student Life Camp last year with, uh, with the high school and middle school uh, youth groups. And um, I was just having a hard time thinking about it. Uh, it's a time where, where your whole youth group gets together and you just kind of uh, focus on one aspect of the day and just kind of try to leave the day with a good, which is a good thought, um, just of the day. And me and Travis were kind of sitting uh, in a lobby, um, just kind of waiting on our groups to come out. And we were sitting there, nobody else was there, um, and this guy um, just walks in. And I don't remember which one he brought in first. I think he brought in his little girl uh, first. I don't know if she was in a stroller or something. Um, and he wheels her in, and he, and he just kind of places her in the lobby. And then he leaves for a second. So me and Travis are just like, what's going on? It's kind of weird. Um, and he comes back in, and he brings a box and, like, some bags um, of just stuff. We didn't really know what it was. Um, so we, we just watched. Um, we just watched this guy. We were silent. We weren't really saying anything. And uh, we watched as this guy um, assembled a, a stool. It was a small stool, and it had uh, legs on it. It had wheels on the bottom of the legs. So he sat in that stool, and then he, uh, he, uh, he assembled this other little walker. It's like just this little, little kid walker. Um, you put your hands on it, and you kind of scoot forward. Um, and then he pulled his little girl out. Uh, put her up on the walker and strapped these big braces to her legs. She couldn't have been more than three, um, I wouldn't think. And um, me and Travis just sitting there watching this. Um, and this guy sits in the stool, and he sits behind her, he grabs her by the waist, and he just starts talking to her, and he just starts working with her so that she's able to just start taking a couple steps, and she starts moving forward. And as she takes a step, he scoots up with her. Um, 
and she's struck, you know, she's just a little three-year-old, so he'd say, Are you, you know, do you need a break? And she'd kind of nod her head, and they'd just, they'd just sit there for a little bit. And me and Travis were just like, what, what in the world is going on? You know, like, like, it's just us, and we're just watching, and we're just like, obviously, I don't know, we just took it as God was trying to say something to us. We both sat there, and we're both men, and we'd probably both be lying if we said we wouldn't start tearing up. I'm just watching this. Um, so this guy just kept working with her, kept working with her. She kept taking some steps. Um, and it was just a perfect image of what it means to struggle with somebody so that they may be edified. Um, this man um, certainly dealt with a matter of desire. What parent doesn't want a perfectly healthy child? Um, I don't think there's one who doesn't want a perfectly healthy child. And yet this guy was dealt something different. And this little girl was dealt something different. And he knew what he had to do. And he put his desire aside and he struggled just a little bit to help her walk. So she wouldn't have to bear that burden the rest of her life. Okay, it was just a great, uh, just a great image. Um, and it meant so much to us and especially just in our, you know, I was dealing with some petty things just about rules and that kind of stuff that I felt needed to be addressed that night uh, with our groups. Um, not like they're bad groups or anything. Um, but God cleared that up in a quick second when he made it. He just helped us realize that it just doesn't matter. Um, some of these things, um, in compared um, to how we should be living and bearing uh, with other people, some of these other things are just so petty. And he cleared me up in a hurry. And uh, that night, actually, we, uh, we had corporate worship time. And believe it or not, Philippians was the passage. Um, so God just really spoke to us through that experience and through this passage. And the passage that um, um, was the topic of that night was Philippians 4. Uh, Philippians 4.10 um, you can go over there if you want. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord uh, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, sadly, this is one of those verses that's become so cliche that, you know, footballs, you, football players use it to say, God can give me strength, I can make this touchdown, or something so material like that. Um, but I'm afraid that it misses the true point um, of realizing that, uh, of just the sense of contentment. Um, this is a verse um, saying God gives you strength, especially when you are content in the plan that he has for you. Not just so you can excel yourself and, and to be puffed up, uh, but in your humility, God, God does this work for you. And it's a matter of contentment. Um, and just these words, um, reading through those words, are these words of a sad, grumpy man who is sore about having to make a decision against his desire? Or are they words of joy and fulfillment and being content in what God needed to do through him and his struggle so that others may have the same joy and fulfillment in Christ? I think it's the latter. He was not sore. He was not bitter. Um, there really wasn't even a decision. Um, Paul knew what he had to do, and he did it. In this passage, um, he says that he learned the secret of being content. Uh, in verse 12, I know what is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I'll just spoil it a little bit for you. Um, this contentment. Um, has to do uh, with trusting uh, that you will be provided for by the greatness of God, whether you have too much or too little. And it will be a joyful experience for you. 
Okay, Paul realized this secret. He realized um, what was necessary to be content even in the worst of situations that he was in. Um, and that's where he, and that's what he, that's what he, his resolve was. Same as Solomon, only true joy, doesn't matter if you're the wealthiest person in the world, doesn't matter if you're the poorest person in the world or anything in between. True joy, if you want true joy, it's in Christ. Um, it's just awesome to see how these things just mesh together. So many people spend their lives um, living in their desire and obeying what they want and what they feel should be. Um, this is the case for me often. But the truth uh, is that only if we live in obedience to God can he produce true desire for things um, that bring true joy according to him. Um, just brings the question, is the full and utmost joy of trusting, living, and possibly suffering for Christ still a secret to you? Um, do you live as though this is a secret? Um, constantly wanting to attain more, um, to achieve more, um, to be successful with more things. Um, living as though the true joy and contentment in Christ is a secret to you. And the harm of this really, not only personally, is that if it's a secret to you, it's certainly a secret to everybody else in your life. So honestly, how do we say that we can, we can uh, represent Christ and show Christ to others if we can't show contentment in him ourselves? If it's a secret to you, it's a secret to everybody else around you, at least in your life. Something to think about. Um, are you blinded from the true joy that comes from contentment in Christ because your life is so full of temporary and non-eternal pleasures um, that you can provide? Or are you so distracted by the wrong that has been done to you by this world and the people in it um, that you have not seen uh, that Christ can bring joy uh, to your heart and glory to himself through these struggles? Um, that's his tent. That's his desire. That's how he wants to use us. Uh, if you guys are a part of a small group, uh, you're reading a, a book called Crazy Love by Francis Chan. Um, and in chapter 2, I think he kind of uh, sums a lot of this up in just one uh, paragraph. Um, he says, when I'm consumed by my problems, stressed out by my life, my family, my job, uh, I actually convey the belief that I think the circumstances are more important than God's command to always rejoice. In other words, that I have a right to disobey God because of the magnitude of my responsibilities. Uh, the command uh, of rejoicing uh, that Chan is talking about is in Philippians 4.4. When Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. And he follows this inspired command with the charge to not be anxious about anything. All of this to say, I want today, um, this time, uh, to be a time for us to evaluate um, how we can move past ourselves as Paul did so magnificently uh, to the point of just wanting to be in the presence of Christ, how we, how we can move past ourselves, past our own capability in providing pleasures that don't really matter, uh, past the wrongs done to us in this world and the imperfections and all of these things uh, and seek him and his glory in obedience to him. Because the answer, as it said in the very first quote, um, is not in any of these things. True joy, lasting joy, and true and lasting purpose um, are here in obedience with him. He is the one that gives you the desire that leads to true joy. Um, and that's where we find it. And we find it within him. Um, so the question today, um, are you content with Christ? Um, is he enough to satisfy your needs? Um, is he enough to satisfy you? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much. Um, Father, for your word and uh, the way it moves us, God. We just pray uh, that today uh, you humble us.
God, that you uh, uh, make this an opportunity, Father, um, that you reveal us, uh, reveal to us uh, one way or another, God, that we are able to move past ourselves and focus on you, God. Father, we pray that even in our um, uh, lack of a contentment for you, God, that you bring us to that, Father, that you don't keep it a secret in us, God, but that we, you, you put things in our lives to make it uh, relevant to us and, and, to, and to allow us to, to know our need for you. Father, we pray that we become a content people in you, um, God, which is a true and joyful people in you. And Father, we pray that you remove everything else and uh, allow us to focus on that, God. And we just thank you so much uh, for your word um, and your spirit, God, to do this work in us. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. My supply, my breath of life, still more awesome than I know. You are my reward, worth living for. Still more awesome than I know, and all of you is more than enough for all of me.
Um, thanks again for coming today. And um, just a couple of reminders about tonight. Um, there is no adult ministries tonight. Um, so take the night off and uh, enjoy it. There are student ministries, by the way. Um, all of them starting at 6.30, except for young, young adults, it starts at 7.30. Uh, so please come back for that. And uh, other than that, I just want to wish you a good day. And um, be thinking of our, uh, our uh, brothers and sisters in Germany. And uh, just uh, say a prayer for them whenever you think about it. But thank you. You're dismissed. Choking in my 